Time to open your Bibles together now, and we're going to uh, look into God's Word and see what He has to teach us today. You can go ahead and open your Bible to Mark chapter 15. This coming week is Holy Week, and that means that it includes both uh, Good Friday and Easter. And I hope you all celebrate Easter well, even though we are uh, not able to get together and things are a bit weird. But uh, you can still hide some eggs and buy some chocolate bunnies and, uh, and have a good Easter. And of course, join us for church online on Easter Sunday. And oh, and don't forget to dress up for it. It's Easter, so you got to dress up even though it's online. I'm dressed up. Um, so today's message is about Good Friday. And I know that Dickens thought that the French Revolution was the best of times and the worst of times, but in reality, it was these things that we're going to talk about today that were the absolute worst times ever, and also, strangely, the best times ever. So let's read from Mark chapter 15. I'm starting from uh, verse 16. It says, the soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling to their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put on his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man of Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves, saying, He saved others, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes and takes him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed 
his last. What I've just read to you is absolutely the worst thing that has ever happened in the history of the universe. It was the ultimate evil, the most awful tragedy. Nothing else that has ever happened, and, uh, and there have been many terrible things that have happened, but nothing was worse than this. One of the things that made this event so bad was the amount of suffering that Jesus went through here. The suffering that Jesus endured that day was of several different kinds. The most obvious was the physical suffering. And if you saw that movie that came out a few years ago, The, the, the Passion of the Christ, you have a pretty good idea what the physical suffering was like. For the most part, I believe that movie was a pretty accurate portrayal of uh, the torture that Jesus endured. It was, a, it was a pretty disturbing movie. I found the scene in which Jesus was flogged by two big Roman soldiers who grinned as the blood splattered on their faces to be especially hard to watch. At one point in that scene, the centurion stops the soldiers. And then he, he raises his hand and he goes like this. And it was a little unclear. I was like, what, what, what does that mean? And I, I thought maybe he was saying, uh, you're done. But then I realized that he was signaling for them to turn Jesus over so that they could whip his front side as well. The movie had an R rating for graphic violence. I thought about putting some slides on the screen here to show you what it looked like, but mm, decided not to. You're welcome. After the flogging, Jesus was crucified on a cross. Crucifixion was a method of execution that was designed to kill as slowly and painfully as possible. The Romans uh, used it only for foreign citizens who committed uh, the worst crimes, especially rebellion against Rome. The law prohibited a Roman citizen from being killed in this way, no matter what his crimes were. People sometimes endured the agony for many hours or even days on a cross. Jesus hung on his cross for about eight or nine hours before he died. In light of the horrible torture that Jesus endured, it's surprising that the passage that we just read from the Gospel of Mark actually has very little description of Jesus' physical pain and suffering. The flogging that was so impactful and graphic in that movie, it's in verse 15 where it says, he had Jesus flogged. That's it. No description of the whips with their little pieces of bone in them and all the different things that you've heard. There's no dripping blood described. Just the simple statement that Pilate sent him to be flogged. And the crucifixion itself, that's there in verse 24. All it says is, and they crucified him. No hammers pounding in the nails. In fact, there's not even a mention of nails here. No description of the pain of suffocation. Just four words, and they crucified him. There's no doubt that Jesus endured horrible physical torture. 
It was bad. It was no doubt one of the worst ways to die that anyone has ever died. But that is not what Mark chooses to talk about. In terms of the physical suffering, he states it was he states it about as simply as he possibly could. In fact, you won't find much of a description of Jesus suffering anywhere in the Bible. No doubt part of the reason for that was that all of the people who would have been the original readers of these books would have already known pretty well what a crucifixion or a flogging was like. They had seen it. All he had to say was they flogged him and they knew exactly how horrible it was. But I still think it's very interesting to see uh, where it is that uh, Mark does choose to describe and emphasize when he tells his story. And I think it's pretty clear that the mental and emotional torment that Jesus endured was actually worse than the physical suffering. Mark describes the cruel mockery that Jesus went through at some length. He said, did you notice that how the soldiers at the beginning of the passage, how are they treating Jesus in the very beginning of, of what I read there, starting in verse uh, 16? It says, they in fact treated him in the way that the king of kings ought to be treated, right? It says that they put a royal robe on him. They put a crown on his head. They hailed him as king. They bowed their knees to pay homage to him. But of course, all of their honoring of him was really just mockery. The crown was thorns, and they beat him with his royal scepter, and they spit on him as they mocked. But isn't it crazy that, in a sense, they understood his claim that he was a king and deserved, worthy of worship and deserved worship, but instead of submitting themselves to him, they made fun of him instead, beating and torturing him while they were at it. Mark also tells us that they put a sarcastic sign on the cross above his head, said the king of the Jews. But again, their sarcasm was actually true. They thought they were mocking him, but they were really declaring the truth. The people who passed by also hurled insults at him, challenging him to come down from the cross if he was so powerful. And the priests and the Bible teachers mocked him. Even the other criminals who were hanging with him on the cross heaped insults on him. Now, most of that did not harm Jesus physically, uh, but emotionally, this was terrible. When a human being is suffering, we want sympathy. We don't want mockery. To be mocked in our suffering is an awful experience. And Jesus' emotional and mental suffering also had several other causes as well. One cause was the pain or one cause of the pain was the bearing of our sins. We all know that gnawing feeling of guilt that we experience when we know that we've sinned, that awareness that we are unclean or dirty somehow. Perhaps the most famous example of this sense of uncleanness is Shakespeare's Lady Macbeth. Uh, after she and her husband conspire to murder uh, the king, she suffers greatly greatly 
with feelings of guilt. In one scene, she walks and talks in her sleep. And as she walks, she rubs her hands as if she's trying to wash the blood that she imagines is still on her hands. And she says, out, damn spot, out, I say. What need we fear who knows it when none can call our power to account? Yet who would have thought the old man had so much blood in him? Here's the smell of blood still. All the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. See, she doesn't fear being found out because Macbeth is king now and uh, no one can call him to account for his crimes. And yet she cannot get rid of the horrible stain on her soul. And Jesus also experienced that horrible feeling of uncleanness and guilt when he was on the cross. Not because he had done anything wrong, uh, but because when he was on the cross, our sins were put on him. Jesus took our guilt on himself so that he was the one who had to be punished for the wrongs that we have done. He experienced that sense of separation from what is right, an awareness that something in him was, in a very deep sense, not as it should be. That he was, by virtue of taking our sins on himself, guilty. One of the things about the suffering that we feel from guilt is that the more we sin, uh, we begin to feel each sin less and less. When you're guilty of many big sins, a few small ones don't really feel like that much of a big deal anymore. On the other hand, as we grow as Christians, learning to beat some sins so that we sin a lot less than we used to, we feel the guilt of our failures more keenly. Sometimes we are suddenly convicted about something that we never really thought was a big deal before. Now, Jesus was perfectly holy and had never sinned. And now he bore the guilt of all of our sins. As, as our guilt was transferred to him, he felt it all. And when his perfectly clean soul was soiled, by our filthy sins, that was an awful experience. But the worst part of the psychological pain that Jesus endured that day was the pain of abandonment. The Bible tells us that all of Jesus' best friends had betrayed and abandoned him at his arrest. First Judas, one of his 12 chosen disciples, betrays him to the authorities for money. And the actual act of betrayal is a kiss of greeting. Then when the soldiers showed up at the garden, all the rest of Jesus' friends ran away to save themselves. Never mind that just a few hours before, they'd all vowed that they would rather die than turn away from Jesus. Peter did actually follow at a distance to try to see what would happen and made it to the site of the trial, only to deny outright that he knew Jesus 
three times in order to protect himself. That hurt. And now on the cross, Jesus suffers the ultimate abandonment. Verse 34 says, At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are the first words of Jesus that Mark records, since he said way back in the second verse, verse 2 of the chapter, he told Pilate, you say so. Uh, we know from the other Gospels that Jesus did say a few other things in between there, but Mark has chosen to leave those other statements of Jesus out in order to put emphasis on this word of Jesus. And to make certain that this really stands out, Mark has even given us the original Aramaic before translating it for us here. And there's good reason for this emphasis, because this is an astonishing thing. God has forsaken Jesus. Jesus has always enjoyed the most intimate relationship with his Father. When Jesus prays, he doesn't address him as God, but always as Father, Abba. This is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus addresses God as God in prayer. Here, Jesus still calls him my God, but not Father. On the cross, Jesus was cut off from the fellowship with the Father that had been his source of joy and strength throughout his earthly life. The Father has turned his back on the Son. Jesus' cry here is actually a quotation from a psalm. It's the first, uh, first line of Psalm 22. And the psalm is about a righteous man who is suffering uh, from his enemies, and he cries out to God for help, and God does not come to his aid as he expects. The next lines in the psalm go like this. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? so far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. This was what made Jesus' suffering so terrible. Physical pain is bad, the pain of abandonment from his friends, and now from his father. That's the real torment. And I know some of you are probably thinking that God couldn't possibly have really forsaken Jesus. God doesn't actually forsake people, does he? Well, yes. Jesus makes it very clear here, the very plain statement, that his father has, in fact, forsaken him. But the answer is also a little bit no, because we'll get to that, we'll get to that in a few minutes, why he hasn't really completely forsaken him. Why did God abandon Jesus when he was on the cross? It was because when Jesus was on the cross, the sins of the whole world were put on him. Uh, we talked about that a couple of minutes ago. Our sins were put on him. And when that happened, he became detestable to God. 
because God hates sin. He can't stand it. The prophet tells us about God that your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. When Jesus became guilty for my sins, God was forced to separate from him. God couldn't stand the sight of him because God hates sin. In fact, when Jesus took my sins on the cross, God didn't simply ignore him. He punished him for my sins. Isaiah says, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. Why? Well, because he was guilty of the sins of the whole world. And the guilty must be punished. Justice demands it. The justice and holiness of God caused him to forsake Jesus on the cross. Jesus, the beloved Son of God, the Holy One, the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, the Lord of Glory, the Word made flesh, the image of the invisible God. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. This was the worst thing that ever happened in the history of the universe. There is enormous suffering here. And who is suffering? The person in all of history who deserved it least. The person who had no guilt for which to suffer. Jesus was a totally innocent, totally holy, deserving of praise, honor, glory, not pain, torture, and shame. And you know what makes it worse yet? Whose fault was it that this happened? It was my fault. And it was your fault. He suffered for our sins. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. We deserve to be punished. We have done wrong. We do not deserve for him to take our punishment for us. But get this. The Bible says something crazy about Jesus' attitude and motivation for going to the cross. It says about Jesus in Hebrews 13, verse 2, it says, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Does that say joy? It says joy. Jesus willingly went to the cross, fully aware of the suffering he was about to endure for the joy that it would bring him. 
Is that because Jesus liked to suffer? No. It was because the benefit that he saw was worth the suffering. The good that comes from his death gives him such joy that he chose the cross. That doesn't mean it was easy for him to endure it. It wasn't. It was horrible. But the payoff was of such great value in the heart of Jesus that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And what was that payoff? Our salvation. Earlier in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says here that the reason he came to earth was to give his life as a ransom. You see, we owed a price for our sins. It was a price that we could not pay. And so we were stuck, doomed to suffer for our sins, doomed to be separated from a holy God forever. And it was what we deserved. But instead of us getting what we deserve, Jesus came and suffered in our place, paying the price that we owed. So why did Jesus do it? Well, the Bible says, uh, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus did this because he loves us. This is indeed the ultimate act of love. Jesus chose to suffer for our sakes. That's what turns the most evil event in history into the most loving and good act in the history of the world. Jesus loved us so much that he would find great joy in saving us. So, because of his great love for us, Jesus paid our costly ransom. Think about all the suffering we talked about this morning. That was the price that Jesus paid so that he could be with us forever. Isn't it awesome how much God loves us? A few minutes ago, I asked the question, did God really forsake Jesus on the cross? And I said the answer was yes. I mean, it's a clear statement right there in the scripture. God had forsaken Jesus. But I also said that the answer is a little bit no, because he wasn't completely forsaken. While Jesus was bearing our sin, the holiness of the Father couldn't stand the sin, and he abandoned Jesus on the cross. But that forsaking was not permanent. Once the price had been paid, Jesus was finished suffering for sin. God raised Jesus from the dead, and he lives forevermore 
as our Savior. And we can live with him forever if we put our faith in him. We don't have to make ourselves worthy of God's love. We don't have to get rid of all of our bad habits or do penance or pile up a bunch of good deeds or memorize half the Bible. Jesus has done the work for us. We just need to trust him. That means that we must stop trying to do it ourselves. If we're going to trust him, we have to stop trying to do it ourselves. We're hopeless anyway. We just need to see what Jesus' love made him do for us and say, that is the source of my righteousness. Not good works, not religious practices. The cross is the only way out of the trap of sin. We need to say to God, if I'm going to avoid punishment for my sins, it's not going to be because of anything I have done. It's only because of you. Some of you watching this today need to take that step of faith. You need to put your trust in the finished work of Christ for your salvation. Today can be the day of your salvation. Trust him to save you, and he will. But many of us watching this today have already taken that step. For those of us who've already been saved by the blood of Jesus, there's something important that we should take away from looking at the cross today. God loves people. He wants to see them saved from their sins. But you know that God doesn't save everybody. Only those who put their trust in him receive forgiveness. The Bible says, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? What this verse is saying is that it is God's plan for people to be saved by believing in him through the message that we bring them. I know probably a lot of you are intimidated by what it says there that w about preaching the gospel and the, the, that preaching word is a hang up for you, but don't worry about that word. Uh, another way that Jesus describes the task that he has given his followers is this. He says, you will be my witnesses. A witness just tells what he knows. God doesn't say that you'll be my attorneys. We don't have to argue the case and press for a verdict. We just have to tell what we know. Tell people your story. Tell the story of God's love. You don't have to preach and persuade. Just be a witness for Jesus. Jesus loved sinful people so much that he went through the suffering of the cross to see people saved. What is your part in seeing your neighbor or your coworker or your family member freed from their sin. Whatever it is, let's do it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for enduring great suffering for us. Father, we know that we deserved punishment and Jesus did not and that he was punished. And if we put our faith in him, we will not be. Lord, we thank you for the great love that you've shown. In Jesus' name, amen.